0: We're going to be looking in Genesis chapter 40 this morning, Genesis chapter 40, and if you're using one of the Bibles um, there in the seats in front of you, it's going to be page either 31 or 33, depending on what uh, copy of God's Word you have. Genesis chapter 40, and as you see the title of the sermon, Forgotten by Man, but Remembered by God. And just before I pray and we get into things, two very quick things to mention. First of all, Abraham, where's Abraham? Where are you Abraham? Is he in here? He must have gone out with everybody. Anyway, I don't think he left already. Well, well Abraham, we love you and we're going to miss you and we will be praying for you. So If you have a chance to see him, be sure and interact with him. And then also just to echo what Wilson mentioned at the beginning of the service regarding community groups tonight. uh, Just wonderful times to have opportunity to be together and to interact around God's word. The things we've shared this morning. uh, Some groups sing. uh, Inevitably there's food. And it's just a rich, wonderful, fruitful, encouraging time. So if you've come before or if you haven't come before, we encourage you to be a part of those. As Wilson said, they begin at 5 o'clock and end usually at 6.30 in kind of a formal sense, but uh, often folks stay a lot longer as well, which is more than welcome. So we encourage you to be a part of that. Well, Genesis chapter 40, uh, again, forgotten by man, remembered by God. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, and even as we've sung, that is, uh, that is the prayer of everyone who knows you, that you would speak to us, that you would feed us, that you would lead us, that you would do in us and through us all that you desire. Strengthen us in your grace, strengthen us in our faith, that you might be glorified in our lives. We trust you will do, even as you've promised, in the name of Christ, amen and amen. Well, we have been walking with Joseph our last few times in the book of Genesis. And what a heartbreaking journey it has been up to this point. Joseph was hated by his 11 jealous brothers, and they conspired to do away with him, selling him to a traveling group of merchants who, in turn, sold the 17 year old Joseph into slavery in Egypt. And there he served his master, a man named Potiphar. Uh, Joseph served him faithfully, only to be falsely accused of attempted rape by the wife of this high-ranking official. And so Potiphar believed his lying wife, and he quickly threw Joseph into prison, which was, in effect, a dark dungeon pit where the king's prisoners were left to rot. And so beyond his control, Joseph's life had descended from bad to worse. But he had not yet hit rock bottom. That doesn't occur until the episode in chapter 40 we're going to read about. And as we read this, Joseph has been in Egypt now some 11 years when these events occur. And we don't know exactly how long he's been in prison, but there are some time markers that let us know in following chapters that he's been there 11 years at this point with these events. So let's hear the living word of the living God, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 40, and I'll read the whole chapter. Sometime after this, after he was thrown into prison, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody." And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. And when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hands as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house." For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Well, when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream, and there were three cakes on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. Well, on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. This is the word of the Lord. Wow, what a depressing end to a gut-wrenching story. What painful lonely, and unfair circumstances have been pounding upon Joseph, really with wave after wave of hurt and disappointment. Do you ask yourself the question, what would you do if you were in Joseph's shoes? Actually, we should say if you were in Joseph's shackles. What would you do? Even more, what do you do When you face painful, lonely, unfair situations that have absolutely no human solution in sight, what do you do? What do you do when these crushing situations make no sense to you and they leave you numb with distressing agony? We understand, don't we, that such situations come in many different contexts. They can come in marriages between husband and wife. They can come in parent child or sibling relationships. They can come in extended family difficulties. They can come, of course, at work. They can come at school. They can come in our neighborhoods. They can come with health issues, with finance issues. They can come with unfulfilled desires and longings that can be very legitimate desires and longings and yet go unfilled. Or maybe such painful, lonely, and even unfair situations can come just in the mundane routines and rhythms of life. What do you do in such situations? And we have to also ask, what should we do in these kinds of desperate and difficult trials? Well, this very sad episode that we read of with Joseph actually overflows with rich covenant hope. And though Joseph was utterly forgotten by man, He was fully remembered by God. Now, here's the massive truth that we see that we should never forget. Here is the main lesson, the big idea of the passage, and it is this. God always remembers and keeps his promises and his people in his way and in his time. God always keeps, he always remembers, and he always keeps his promises and his people in his way and in his time. And as we're going to see, because this is true, we should always patiently trust and obey God, including when we're in the most painful, lonely, unfair circumstances that we might face. Now, this truth that God always remembers and keeps his promises and his people in his way and in his time, this truth involves four specific remembrances that we should never forget. Remembrances that are intended to strengthen our faith in Jesus Christ. So that's what we want to highlight this morning, these four specific reminders. Here's number one. Here's number one. God lovingly ordains your circumstances even when they're painful, lonely, and unfair. God lovingly ordains your painful, lonely, and unfair circumstances. Now, from the very beginning of the book of Genesis, all of the narrative that precedes chapter 40 emphatically reveals God sovereignly, lovingly, ordaining and directing everything and everyone for his good, saving purposes. Within every human being's individual accountability to him, God nonetheless governs each one's circumstances to fulfill his sovereign, loving, promise plan to bring the blessing of salvation to undeserving sinners. And so uh, we learn in these earlier chapters with Joseph's great-grandfather Abraham, God made covenant promises to him beginning in Genesis chapter 12, Promises for offspring and for land and for blessing that would ultimately pass on to all the nations. And in God's way and in God's time, eventually Isaac, Joseph's grandfather, was born to Abraham. And of course, eventually Isaac would have a son named Jacob, who was Joseph's father, and through whom God's covenant promises continued to advance. Now, each of these men, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, each of them faced hard, painful, lonely circumstances, but it was clear that God was, love, was, was lovingly ordaining everything in their lives. And God was doing so to strengthen and purify the faith of his people And at the same time, God was doing so in order to keep and to advance his promise plan through them. And so now with Joseph, as I alluded to earlier, when he was 17 years old, some tragic things happened. But we read in chapter 37, uh, at this time, in verses 5 through 11 there, I'm not going to read it now, but you can look at it later. Uh, But there, when he was 17, God had given him prophetic dreams, dreams indicating that Joseph would eventually come to rule over his father and his brothers. And Joseph was, by the way, the next to the youngest of 12 brothers. And so he has these prophetic dreams. And we've seen that though he then suffered greatly at the cruel hands of a variety of different people, including his brothers, we saw that it has been God's mighty hand that had ordained everything in Joseph's life. And so within all of the calamities that he experienced and then when he became a slave in Egypt, if you look back to chapter 39 in verse 2 at the very beginning of the chapter, we're told there that the Lord Yahweh was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. And then at the end of chapter 39, after Joseph has been falsely accused uh, and thrown into the dungeon, we hear again in verses 21 to 23, these words, but the Lord Yahweh was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. You see how this is the emphatic emphasis at both the beginning and the end of chapter 39, showing, beloved, how God lovingly ordained even these hard, painful, lonely, unfair circumstances That Joseph was experiencing. God was with Joseph each step of the way. And God was doing all that he was doing in connection with his covenant promises to Abraham. And even within his specific promises to Joseph years earlier that Joseph had received through those dreams that we learn of in chapter 37. And no doubt God was indeed strengthening and purifying Joseph's faith through all of these trials. And God would use Joseph to then be an instrument of helping to preserve God's promise plan for the blessing to the nations. And that's what we see through the remainder of Genesis as things unfold. But you see, now he's in prison. God's ordained all of this. And and now God ordains that Pharaoh would throw his cupbearer and his baker into prison and that they would come under Joseph's care. And then it's God who ordains the dreams that they have. And then it's God who ordains and gives Joseph the interpretation of those dreams. And by the way, obviously a very tough outcome for the baker on that end of things. But even though Joseph, understandably, in that event, pled to the cupbearer for the cupbearer to remember him to Pharaoh when this man was restored, God also ordained that the cupbearer at that time would sadly and unfairly forget about Joseph. The point to see, beloved, is that God is ordaining all of this in Joseph's circumstances. And the point for us to see is that God is unchanging. God is unchanging, and he still lovingly ordains all of the circumstances of all of his people, including you and me. And it helps us understand that the trials, the tests, the hard things, the painful things, the lonely things, the unfair things that we can experience and do experience in this life, it's normal. It's normal for God's people. And as a result, like Joseph, we're to patiently trust and obey God in whatever he's ordained for us, constantly finding our hope in him alone. And this is what God is doing at this time in Joseph's life, is deepening his faith when he's, he's taken away every other possible human hope he might rely on. We're to find our hope in Him and Him alone. We're to trust and obey promises such as we find in James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing." We hear similar promises in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Peter says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And of course, promises, even like Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where Paul says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things, friends, all things work together for good in God's good purposes. So believe it, beloved, believe it. God ordains all of your hard, painful, lonely, even unfair circumstances. Perhaps those that you're experiencing at this very moment. God lovingly ordains these things not because He's harsh, not because He's cruel, not because He's not in control, but because He is good. And because he is wise, and because he is loving, even as we see this displayed and unfolding with Joseph. And so whatever you may be facing this very moment, God wants you to patiently trust and obey him. And to know that he is with you if you are his through faith in him. Well, this leads to a very specific second reminder for us to see and that we learn from Joseph's situation in Genesis 40. Not only that God lovingly ordains the painful, hard, lonely circumstances we face, but number two, God's grace is always sufficient for you in your painful, lonely, and unfair circumstances. God's grace is always sufficient for you within your painful, lonely, and unfair circumstances. As it was for Joseph, so it is for all of God's people. Now again, as we've seen at the beginning of chapter 39, the beginning and the end of chapter 39, the Lord was emphatically with Joseph every single moment within these long, crushing, grievous trials. Joseph, or I'm sorry, God didn't leave Joseph between the end of chapter 39 and the beginning of chapter 40. We're to understand that God is still with him. He's still with him. And because God was with him, we're to understand that it was God's all-sufficient grace that continually sustained and provided for Joseph, enabling him to patiently trust and obey God moment by moment. Now just Think about this for Joseph and this situation he's in. As I mentioned, he's been in Egypt now some 11 years, even though we don't know exactly how long he's actually been in prison. But he had absolutely no human hope within his circumstances. Absolutely none. But we see evidence of his faith and of his hope in God. And we also see evidence of God graciously upholding Joseph step by step. It was God's grace working through Joseph's faith that enabled him to resist the brazen sexual temptations of Potiphar's wife in Genesis chapter 39. Joseph resisted and he ran Because he didn't want to sin against his God. And now the fruit of that is he is unjustly in prison. And yet God's grace enabled Joseph even there to keep trusting and obeying God. And so when the cupbearer and the baker arrive, and in time when they have their dreams, It's God's grace, think about this, it's God's grace that enables Joseph to see their downcast, troubled countenance and to ask them essentially, what's up? What's up? And by God's grace, Joseph wasn't having a pity party for himself because of all of the pain and the loneliness and the injustice of what he was experiencing. What's he doing? He's looking to minister to others and he engages these men. He's serving and ministering in the opportunities that God provides. Well, then it's God's grace that gives Joseph the interpretations of the dreams as Joseph acknowledges those belong to God. And it's God's grace that then prompts Joseph to plead for the cupbearer to remember him to Pharaoh. Joseph understood where he was. He understood what had happened to him. And so he pleads legitimately so for the cupbearer to remember him when he's restored to Pharaoh. We can only imagine, can't we, how Joseph's hopes must have, uh, must have sprung up and been aroused at the opportunity that perhaps this cupbearer who goes to Pharaoh, to the king, to the man in charge, can secure Joseph's release. But then as time went on, after the cupbearer had left, it's God's grace that still sustains Joseph. As little by little he realizes he's been completely forgotten by men. Beloved, Joseph had no earthly human hope. He had none, but he had God with him. And in having God, he had the sufficiency of God's grace. You see, Joseph had nothing to hope for in his circumstances but he had everything to hope for with both the presence and the promises of God and with the sufficiency of God's grace. And so by God's grace, Joseph kept patiently relying on the wisdom, power, goodness, authority, love, and grace of God. He couldn't do anything else. He was stuck and chained in a prison pit. And God wants you to know And he wants me to know and to be reminded that whatever we're facing right now in the circumstances that he has lovingly ordained, that his grace, his grace is fully sufficient to sustain you and I in those circumstances. His grace is fully sufficient for whatever we need. Beloved, the Apostle Paul learned this very truth in painful ways, and he speaks of it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. Listen to what he declares. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But God's response was to me, Paul says in verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul goes on to say, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, he says, I am content. I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says he was content because he knew the sufficiency of God's abundant grace. And when Paul was weak, then he was strong. How are you in the situations that God has lovingly ordained in your life? Are you content in the sufficiency of God's grace? In the insufficiency of his strength in the midst of your weaknesses? The story is told of the 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon that one day he was riding home on his horse after a heavy day's work feeling weary and depressed and suddenly the verse flashed into his mind my grace is sufficient for you and he responded and said I should think it is lord and it burst and he burst out laughing he burst out laughing because it seemed to make unbelief so absurd And so he said, and he testified of this, he said, quote, It was as if some little fish, being very thirsty, was troubled about drinking the river dry. And the river said, drink away, little fish, my stream is sufficient for you. Or it seemed like a little mouse in the granaries of Egypt after seven years of plenty, fearing that it might die of famine. And one might say to that little mouse, cheer up, little mouse. My granaries are sufficient for you. Or it was like a man up on a mountain saying to himself, I fear I shall exhaust all the oxygen in the atmosphere. But the earth responding and saying, breathe away, oh man, and fill your lungs. My atmosphere is sufficient for you. Do you get the point? God's grace is inexhaustible. His grace is absolutely inexhaustible, and it is always abundantly sufficient for all your needs within every single moment of your painful, lonely, unfair, hard circumstances. Come always then, come always then to God's throne of grace through faith and prayer in the confident sufficiency of all that he has given in the Lord Jesus Christ, come always to him and receive fresh supplies of his all-sufficient grace. And as you daily draw on God's grace, never forget this third reminder that we see in our text. And it is this. Number three, God will bring your painful lonely, and unfair circumstances to an end. God will bring your painful, lonely, and unfair circumstances to an end. And I should say, in his way and in his time. Now, as you know, Genesis 40 is not the end of the story for Joseph, And your current situation is not the end of the story in your life. In the case of Joseph, in God's providence, as we'll see next time in Genesis chapter 41, the cupbearer will eventually remember Joseph to Pharaoh. In fact, we're told there at the very beginning of chapter 41, after two whole years, these events unfold. And so the cupbearer actually becomes the instrument of Joseph's release from prison, and not only his release from prison, but his immediate ascendancy to the unimaginable prominence of being second in command in Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself. It's amazing and overwhelming. But as I noted, it would be two long years before this would happen. And it would be many more years after that before God's promises came to even greater fulfillment. And so what happens in chapter 40 with Joseph being forgotten, it is rock bottom for Joseph. But it's also the seeds of the beginning of what God has planned to raise him up. And you see, this point that God will bring your painful, lonely, and unfair circumstances to an end, as I mentioned, it is the in his way and in his time part of the truth that we see in God's dealings with Joseph. And keep this in mind. In all of God's dealings with Joseph, he was not only remembering and keeping Joseph But he was also remembering and keeping his covenant promises to all his people for the blessing of all of the nations, including you and me. That's what's going on with what God is doing in in preserving and keeping Joseph. And this is what we'll continue to see as the story unfolds through the rest of Genesis. In fact, this is what we continue to see through the rest of all of the Old Testament in everything that's there in God's doings and workings in anticipating and culminating in the salvation that he, com- he accomplishes in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, beloved, as it was with Joseph, often the trials that he ordains for us they become harder and harder before they come, be, 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 excuse me, before they become better. In other words, God's providences in our lives, in our circumstances, often seem to move us backward before they move us forward. They often seem to take us down before he raises us up. And again, This is normal. This is normal in the lives of God's people. God always remembers and keeps his promises and his people in his way and in his time. In his loving and wise promises, and we have to lay hold of this as well, in his loving and wise promises as well as his providence, he may well bring your trials to an end in this life or You may not know the completion of those trials until you are in heaven in God's presence. As the song that we often sing declares, whatever God ordains is right. And so keep patiently trusting and obeying him, beloved. He will, in his wise and good time, bring trials to an end, either in this world or when we're in heaven. Think about what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12, beginning in verse 7, and speaking of the fact that God brings trials as a means of disciplining us, training us, nurturing us, and maturing us. He says there in Hebrews 12, verse 7, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, as children. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? He says, they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. And then it goes on to say, verse 11, for the moment, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. He will bring the trials that he lovingly ordains, eventually to an end. But in the meantime, he's using them for his purposes to mature us, to grow us, to strengthen and purify our faith that we might share in his holiness all the more. And so we lay hold of promises like that in Hebrews 12. Other promises like 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7, where Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, at the proper time, in God's proper timing, at the proper time, he may exalt you. And we humble ourselves, he goes on to say, by casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you which is another way of saying, draw upon his all-sufficient grace. Cast your cares upon him. And so, beloved, never forget these reminders. First of all, that God lovingly ordains your painful, lonely, and unfair circumstances. Second of all, that his grace is always sufficient for you. And third, In his way and in his time, he will bring an end to your trials. Now, all of these specific reminders can be drawn together in a final specific reminder. We can summarize it this way. This is the fourth and the final. God is God and God is good. God is God and God is good. And again, this is simply a way of summarizing everything that we've been saying, and this phrase is, is not original to me, but it it is packed with meaning and significance in the mercies and goodness and wisdom and grace and purposes of God. He is God and he is good. And this is what his word reveals again and again and again. And so whatever circumstances he's ordained for us at any point in time, however painful, however lonely, however humanly unfair they may be, however long they may last, we must keep believing that God is always God and that he is always good. And therefore, we must always trust him. We must always obey him. And when we fail to obey him and when we sin in unbelief, that we quickly confess and we know his cleansing and his forgiveness and his restoration afresh through all that he's given in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just think about how fully Jesus trusted continually that God is God and that God is good. Even within all that Jesus suffered in order to accomplish the salvation of all who would trust him. Peter speaks of this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 to 24. And he says this of Jesus, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But what did he do? He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Peter goes on to say, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds, you have been healed. And those who have been healed are those who have come to faith in Christ. They've repented from sin and they've repented from any sense of depending on themselves. And they're depending only and fully on the Lord Jesus Christ who bore their sins and bore all of God's wrath for their sins. That's the heart of the gospel, friends. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are bearing your own sins. And unless you repent and trust God's provision in Christ, you will bear your own sins and you will bear God's wrath for your own sins throughout all eternity. And so even now, if you've never come to faith in Christ, he calls you to come to him. This is the greatest trial. This is the greatest danger you face is God's eternal judgment in in crushing you for your sins, justly so just as he would every single one of us, except for by his grace, we've come to Christ in faith. If you never have, call out to him now and trust him now. But you see how Jesus was trusting that God is God and that God is good. He kept entrusting himself to his heavenly father, the one who judges justly. And in so doing, he accomplished salvation. And he sets a pattern for us to so trust God, even within the trials he gives to us. Lori and I have thought and talked. Lori, by the way, for those who don't know, is my dear and precious wife. Um, She's right up here. Um, Lori and I have thought and talked much about this truth in recent times, even in view of a number of, of challenging trials that God has lovingly ordained for us. Thought about the fact that God is still God and God is still good. And often through tears and crying out to God, we know his grace and we know his care and we know his provision. I think about this truth in light of the horrifically painful, lonely, unfair suffering that's taking place right now with the war in Ukraine. All of the traumatic and deadly devastation impacting so many millions of men and women, so many millions of boys and girls both believers and unbelievers alike. So many desperate crushing needs physically and emotionally and spiritually and in many other ways. Beloved, God is still God and God is still good and his grace is still all sufficient and he is worthy to be trusted and obeyed even within such horrific situations. This is why we keep praying for everything taking place there, praying for God's provision, praying for God's purposes to abound, praying for God to pour out grace upon those who belong to him, praying praying for God to pour out grace to those who don't know him, that they would come to faith in Christ. And so we pray. Well, How about you, dear friend? How about you this morning? In whatever circumstances God has ordained for you right now, can you believe and testify, even with perhaps trembling, wobbly faith, that God is still God and God is still good? Oh, keep trusting and keep obeying Him, beloved. Peter also says in first Peter four nineteen, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. He's still God, He's still good. He's worthy of all trust and obedience because he's loving and wise and sovereign and his grace is always, always sufficient. So you see, Joseph was utterly forgotten by man, but he was fully remembered by God. God always remembers and keeps his promises and his people in his way and in his time. And so never forget these reminders that God lovingly ordains our painful, lonely, unfair circumstances, that God's grace is always sufficient for us within these things he ordains, that he will indeed in his way and in his time bring an end to our circumstances, and that he is God and that he is good. Well, the story is also told of a missionary by the name of Adoniram Judson. Lived from the late 1700s into the mid-1800s. He was a great pioneer missionary to the country of Burma. And he had been thrown into a horrible prison by the toughest Burmese people that could be imagined. And the, tur- the torture he experienced was awful. And he had almost no fruit to show for the many years of hardship that he experienced in Burma. He wasn't sure whether or not his years of translation work, of translating the Bible into the local language, uh, whether or not it would even be destroyed. And in those dark conditions, suffering from fever and weakness, one time he received a letter from a friend who asked him, Judson, how's the outlook? How's the outlook? You know what Judson's answer was? He said, the outlook is as bright as the promise's of God the outlook is as bright as the promises of God that's it friends that's what Joseph was ultimately embracing as we'll come to see in things that unfold beyond the end of chapter 40 the future the outlook is as bright as the promises of God so because of this we should always trust patiently trust and obey God by his grace and for his glory And as Zach read from James chapter 5 earlier, that's what I'll end with, verses 7 and 8. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, is certainly implied, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Oh, how we need your grace, oh Father. We can't even imagine the the loneliness, the pain, the agony, the hopelessness, the despair, crushing despair that Joseph would have been tempted to feel. And no doubt, even as we see evidences of his faith in you and evidences of your grace sustaining and providing for him, We know it was no doubt through many tears and much agony. And Father, yet you had your purposes, and you sustained and you provided in ways that that defy anything that could be imagined. And we know the same is true because you've made the same promises, even in a fuller way to us than what Joseph knew, because he didn't have the 66 books of your revelation that we now have. Father, we need your grace, we need your strength. For every single one of us, within whatever circumstances you've ordained right now, we need your grace to trust you, to obey you, to not grumble, to not complain, to not disobey and sin in any number of ways, but to persevere and to be patient, knowing that you are always God and that you are always good and that you are worthy to be trusted. So please help us to do so for our joy and fruitfulness in you, for your glory and your work in our lives. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen.